Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Dr. Marcy Rowan. She is a veteran educator who has spent most of her career as a coach of teachers and school leaders. Her experiences at the classroom, school district, and state levels provide a unique perspective for educators looking to transform schools and drive student achievement. Achievement. Dr. Rohn is an accomplished school leader with proven results at the elementary and middle school levels in both Title I and non-Title I schools. She's the author of Learning Rounds with Teachers. Welcome to the podcast, Marcy. Well, it's great having you on. Um, I heard um, your recording with Principal Caffelli several months back and decided to have a chat with you as well uh, based on your school leadership experience. I'll start off with a question. I ask everybody, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Um, I think the, the most powerful example I have of being in the trenches is doing the work around um, learning rounds, learning rounds process for me and, and myself as a school leader. Um, you know, I have been in some of the most challenging schools and trying to drive improvement while putting out fires and just doing the daily work of schools. Uh, it's, it, it's really intentional, targeted focus to be able to make sure that amidst all of the things that can happen in a school, uh, that, that learning is, is front and center. And I would, I would have to say that's probably my biggest, uh, in the trench. And I do that work. I did it as a principal. And even now when I do that work with principals, um, we're in the trenches together and we are, we're learning and growing together through that process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about um, some of what you do now versus um, what you did um, as a principal and how your work as a principal informs uh, what you're doing now. My work as, as a principal is foundational to what I do now. I, what I do now is I support I support principals and I am charged with developing the principles that I work with. And uh, I couldn't do that work if I didn't know where they are. If I hadn't walked in their shoes, uh, I, I wouldn't be able to uh, to support them in a way that's meaningful and that is, is real in terms of their challenges and what they're facing in schools because, because I've been there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that very much... Um, informs what I do now and, and has created the foundation that I use to support principals now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and um, when you're uh, working as a principal in a challenging school, um, especially for new leaders or if they've changed roles and gone to a different district, uh, what were some of the challenges that um, you faced um, working in the Title I school? We talked a little bit in the pre-chat about just um, the academics with the state testing, CTE, et cetera. But what would you say um, were some of the biggest challenges? The biggest challenge in, in working with schools today, again, is, is around learning, learning how to focus on what really matters 
which is making sure that we're improving life outcomes for kids and Mm -hmm. doing that through having a quality education. So I think that, um, that for new principals, the biggest challenge that, that I've experienced and that I've heard through the coaching of, of principals and uh, beginning principals is around the management of time and trying to weed out those things, those time suckers, you know, that, and creating systems and structures so that we don't get caught up in all of the little things. It, it doesn't make them unimportant. Yeah. It just makes it harder for us to do, to do the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've written a book, uh, Learning Rounds with Teachers, uh, which is published in 2022. Um, so how has that uh, informed the work that you do now working with principals? And um, what can people expect um, when they buy the book? So um, I wrote Learning Rounds with Teachers when I was still a principal and working in schools I was doing a learning rounds process in my schools. And the reason I started doing that is, well, it started from um, having a serious illness in, uh, with a relative and spending a lot of time in the hospital and seeing that process that, um, that doctors and physicians and nurses do with uh, patients around the learning rounds process mm-hmm. and how they learn from each other. And in, in the work of schools, we we can't be the only person driving improvement in our building, especially in our highly impacted schools. So using that idea to then um, take teachers and, and uh, instructional support staff and assistant principals and, and leveraging the power and harnessing the power of learning and, and group learning uh, in the rounds process to, to foster school improvement. So doing that work in my own building, <clears throat> I attribute a, a lot of the gains that I had as a, as a school leader using that process mm-hmm. um, and getting, getting really good at creating the systems around how to make that happen on a regular basis. So, so that's kind of where the book comes from is, is wanting to help school principals okay, I want to do this. I want to do it with my teachers. A lot of the research out there is doing it from a district standpoint mm-hmm. or, um, you know, outside of a school principal doing using using actual teachers in part of this process. So I just wanted to share how I took the idea of learning rounds and, and used my teachers' um, expertise and their mm-hmm. lens to, to walk through our building and really facilitate change. So the book is a really short read. It's, 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 um, let's see, it's, it's only a a couple hundred pages. It's Mm -hmm. not, um, it's not a real dense read. I didn't want something that principals would have to spend their entire summer reading. Mm -hmm. Um, and it basically just gives you a framework for how to get started with learning rounds and, and kind of the purpose behind it and how to, how to build that from the ground up if you haven't done something like that before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that includes um, really involving the whole staff in these learning rounds and providing um, uh, maybe uh, setting up some class coverage or some substitute um, pay, right? Cause that's also um, what I think a lot of principals are first worried about how are we going to get those classes covered if we're setting up the learning rounds. Um, I think those can be so effective, um, really, for everybody to learn from their peers. Um, 
A lot of teachers are just isolated in their classroom and they don't even visit people in their own department. But um, how- That's exactly right. For those people who are a little worried about maybe the budget or like the time and how do we structure all this, um, where's a good place to start? Well, I, um, like many principals, you know, budget's always a concern. And and mm-hmm. at the time that I was doing learning rounds, also finding substitutes was a challenge. Yeah. So we started, we started the work doing it through our planning periods. Uh-huh. Um, so I would use teachers dur- during their, um, their planning, collaborative planning time. That's when we would facilitate the rounds. Now that, you know, that's good because then you don't need the coverage for the teachers who are conducting the rounds. Uh, the challenge that I found in that is that um, you're really limited to, you don't really get to see the breadth of the building because yeah. the only thing you have available is what's going on during that particular planning time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's, there's some trade-offs. You know, I have done uh, coverage with subs and all of that, but I think if you're just starting out and you don't have the funds and you just kind of want to start small, mm-hmm. using using that planning time as a um, as a means of continual learning, and that's not to that's not to to hijack a teacher's planning time, and uh, you know, because there's importance in that as well. But this can help teachers plan better when they're they're walking around the building, they're seeing what other teachers are doing, and they're taking ideas, and they can integrate that into their own their own planning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, did you uh, have a type of rubric or observation form that you made? Um, within your school uh, for people to take notes or was it more observe and then um, debrief with the group afterwards? Yes, to both to, to both questions. Um, there And there's actually in the book, there's actually a link to get some um, just some sample documents. Okay. I started out really, really simple. First of all, I had to build a culture of this uh, happening in my building because I couldn't just we, could, we couldn't just roll up three or four people deep into a classroom and and expect everything to to go well uh, we had to build that culture that this was going to happen but what once so we walked in without anything we just walked in and and talked about what we noticed mm-hmm. uh, you know when we got to the point where we started actually noting what was happening it was really simple. It was just, what is the teacher doing and what are the students doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, because what I wanted to do in building that reflective practice is to get people to be teachers to be able to identify what is the impact of the instructional decisions that are being made at the point in time that we're in the classroom. Because Mm -hmm. when we can start to connect what's happening with the learning to the choices the teacher's making instructionally, there's real power in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, after you got started, how many years were you in that building? And when you left the building, um, was was it in a place where they were uh, they kind of had that fine tuned machine? It, it was three years in the making. Um, I was shifted to another school uh, at, at the uh, at the end of three years. Um, to a, to a middle school, actually, from an elementary setting. And, and yes, it was at a place where it could be sustainable. Now, like any, like any leadership with, with changes, you know, it really depends on who takes the seat next and whether mm-hmm. that gets, um, what part of what's happening gets, gets saved and, and, and honored. Um, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't know if it is still happening in my building. I know 
a year or two. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. After I left, it was still occurring in, in, um, in smaller ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once teachers find power yeah. in the process, uh, you know, they're willing to, to support it and advocate for it as well. But it also comes down to making sure that you've got the master schedule set up to, in a way that facilitates this kind of process. So, so there's a lot of other smaller decisions that if another leader is not willing to, to come in and, and, and they have their own vision of how things need to go, um, it, it can be, it can, it can shift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, say that somebody is an AP who has some experience with this type of um, round in a school, um, and they want they 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 come on as an AP. Um, how could an AP help um, influence or advocate for this type of model in a school that they're joining? And what would an AP's role be? That's a great question because APs, uh, in my experience, I don't find that APs get a whole lot of instructional support and and. and professional development around becoming an instructional leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage any assistant principal uh, to, to start where they are. Uh, you know, many uh, um, assistant principals get assigned content areas or smaller groups of teachers, mm-hmm. maybe not the whole building, but smaller groups of teachers that they supervise and support. And I would start, I would start there, you know, small, small, small start uh, and use the, the groups that you're already assigned to, to start thinking about how can I build the instructional capacity of, of those teachers that I'm responsible for, but also my own leadership mm-hmm. skills and my own, my own leadership, instructional leadership repertoire, because that's, that's probably the biggest gap. I've been on a lot of hiring teams with principals and that's probably the biggest gap when assistant principals apply for principalships. They mm-hmm. haven't really had the opportunity to demonstrate if they, if they already are instructional leaders, but really to practice that in the leadership setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage them to use what they have and then use those experiences to have conversations with the school leader and say, you know, these are the things that are happening with these teachers in the building. And here are some of the benefits we're seeing mm-hmm. from this type of process. And that would, you know, to encourage the leader of the building to perhaps try it a little on a month, on a larger scale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also what are the benefits of like cross-curricular um, rounds? Um, I w- worked in a school at one point where we were doing cross-curricular PLCs because they, because they had a very well-oiled uh, PLC model and early release Wednesday. So once a month, it was cross-curricular PLCs. And that's a great time to plan and discuss with other subjects. But um, to get ideas from somebody, if you're teaching languages and you're in the art classroom, for example, um, how did that work in the school you were at? <laughs> That's a, that's, a, that's a great opportunity because, I mean, we all know those kids that maybe they have, um, maybe they're really successful in art class, and but they don't do well in another teacher's classroom. And it's not just about personalities. You know, sometimes that can be, that can be a, a, a big sticking point. But for the most part, sometimes, uh, a lot of times it's about the, the instruction that's connecting with that kid. Mm-hmm. you know, with that student that's happening in the other rooms. So when you're, when you're able to see students in different 
content areas. Um, I, I think there's power in that and be able to see them as a, as a learner outside of whatever content area you have them in um, mm-hmm. and how they respond to the teaching that's happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think once um, also when it comes to for the um, maybe the deans and the assistant principals, um, if you're seeing a student who's maybe uh, had some discipline issues in certain teachers' classes and maybe yeah. they're thriving and they're getting along well in other teachers' classes, it's it's also um, interesting to see maybe the interactions between the adult and the student in certain classes yep. as well. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so much more powerful when you when you can see that difference mm-hmm. than if if you're just standing around the in the teacher's lounge talking about a particular child and 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 someone yeah. says well they behave for me in this classroom yeah. and it just it 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 puts you on the defensive right because it just sounds like you're doing something that someone else is or is not doing so mm-hmm. so yeah there's there's great power in the cross curricular uh perspective and and being able to do that Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you have um, professional development that you provide or do you speak at uh, conferences? Do you have any coming up in um, early uh, 2024 that you'd like to highlight? Awesome. Um, I am actually, I'm not currently scheduled in, in conferences. I'm looking for a few. I've had a lot of things taken up my time recently. I've just um, just sent my last child off to college. So there, there was just a whirlwind of activity happening there. I do offer professional development um, and I encourage folks to reach out to me if they need, uh, would like professional development or would like some sort of, uh, you know, some consulting support around getting learning rounds started in their schools or in their districts. I've done them in both settings. Um, but yeah, I am looking looking at some conferences uh, going into 2024, um, but haven't haven't set any uh, in my sites yet. just kind of just kind of looking for those that would be a best fit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's been a great conversation about instructional rounds and um, your role um, in helping this happen um, at the school you were at. Um, out of everything we've talked about, uh, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Um, I think I think the most important thing that I've learned, not just in in the learnings round, learning rounds process as a leader, but in any aspect where I've wanted to make a change as a leader, there is power in small improvements and slow gains. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's hard to remember mm-hmm. because school is such a fast place to be, you know, there's always something and going and it can get, it can be really easy to get caught up in the busyness and forget about the overarching goals and, and the changes that, that may need to take place. So Mm -hmm. I think I would encourage all leaders to, to really remember that there is power in small improvements and and slow gains. And we want to, we want to go slow to go fast. Right. If I can start right and get a good foundation going, then I can increase speed later on once we're really good at what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to make it small and manageable at first because mm-hmm. nobody needs more to do. We just need to figure out how to do what we're doing mm-hmm. as best as best we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so well put because um, I think um, in leadership, um, there are people that 
you know, or worried about the mandates from the district or the mm-hmm. state. And um, if something is going slow, it could be seen as uh, not successful, right? But right, right. like sometimes it does take that time and also staff to understand, you know, um, if they want change, um, that the school is heading in the right direction. But um, like you said, it's uh, the small improvements over time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. Where can people connect with you and find you online? Well, um, I have a Facebook group called leadlearners.net. Um, I'm uh, on Instagram at lead.learners and, um, you can find me on a website. It's a, a, I made a bit.ly link because it's a Google site and it's just really long. So it's just bit.ly forward slash leadlearnersroan. Okay. Uh, And people can email me. Roan, R-O-A-N-M-A-R-C-Y at gmail.com. Great. I'll make sure all that information is in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for being my guest on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. I hope this will um, have learners get interested in implementing uh, rounds at their school and pick up your book if they haven't already. Uh, Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for having me, Dana. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle.